good chanting. <clears throat> Welcome, everybody. Uh, the next thing we're going to do is, in behalf of uh, all the people suffering from the plague and from war around the world, not that there's ever a, a dearth of suffering, but it seems to be very prevalent at the moment, we're going to chant uh, the Guru's Stotram, which is um, a short version of the Guru Gita. It's got uh, about, how many is it, 14 or 18 verses? How many is it? 14, 13. <clears throat> Lucky 13. Uh, and to, uh, may everyone be healthy, may everyone be happy, may, every, may there be peace everywhere. So we chant in that in that spirit. So let's do that now. We'll appear up here.
Again, night before the intensive, always a very special night. Uh, and because the intensive happens because of uh, Baba's command to me, he told me to do intensives. Uh, we, I always do uh, from Baba's teachings on the night before. So I always remember him intensely during this weekend particularly during the intensive weekends. So let me begin by welcoming you all the way Baba would welcome people by saying in Hindi, Sabko Varisanmane Kesat Pemse Artik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would say that that's the essence of spirituality, to welcome another person with love. If there's no love, then you may know a lot of uh, ancient lore and Sanskrit uh, texts and uh, uh, esoteric doctrine, but they won't be real spirituality. Love is the essence of it. So in that spirit, I welcome you all. And uh, I also welcome Devi Ma, who's watching online. She's under the weather today. And uh, we hope she's back very soon. So, Baba Muktananda, what do we have? This is Baba as I knew him, uh, pretty much the way he looked when I uh, 
got to the ashram in Ganeshpur in 1971. <clears throat> and uh, another one? And this is definitely how I knew him because this, this was taken during one of his question-answer sessions, which was the favorite part of my uh, weekly schedule. Whenever we go into his room, we would ask him questions and he would answer. Uh, this is obviously during one of the hot months. It got so hot from April and May, unbelievably hot. I never knew there could be weather like that. And then the monsoons came. But obviously, this is during uh, April or May. And we would meet with him in this room and we'd ask him about all kinds of things. Do you have another one? One more. This is a different Baba. This is Baba on tour. Um, and uh, his uh, beard is neatly coiffed. Uh, and he's all dressed up. And so tonight we're going to hear from Baba on tour and also Baba in Ganeshpuri. This, this was uh, from a question answer uh, in Ganeshbury in December of 1971. Very close to when I got there, uh, the statue, the murti of Bhagwan Nityananda that Baba had made in Mumbai uh, came to the ashram. Actually, it was his birthday a few months after I got there in 71. And he was very thrilled by this life-size, bigger-than-life-size uh, model of uh, Bhagwan Nityananda. So one of the ashram people asked Baba about that, about worshiping form or formlessness. This is from Amrita. Amrita was a, an Indian uh, woman who was a, a well-known poet, Hindi poet. She says, Baba, you always talk about the formless, but now we have Bhagwan Nityananda's statue, and we worship this form several times a day. It means they performed arti, the waving of lights and, uh, to the statue several times a day. I'm confused about the form and the formless. Would you please talk about that? <clears throat> In India, this is called saguna and nirguna. Saguna means uh, form, and nirguna is the formless. And so they always talked about God with form and God that was formless, these two aspects. So Baba says, <clears throat> I say that saguna worship is a great mystery. If I say that, saguna means with form, that doesn't mean I belong to the saguna sect. I firmly believe in the ultimate reality without any attributes of form. I adore the impersonal, but I know fully what's good for a seeker. So the impersonal is the impersonal Brahman, or the impersonal absolute, or the impersonal uh, divine consciousness. It doesn't have a form, yet all forms are implicit in it, or potential in it. Baba says, it's, easy, it's quite easy for one to accept what he can hear with his ears, what he can see with his eyes, and what he can think with his mind but it's very difficult to accept what you cannot hear or see or think about. The only way of reaching the impersonal is through the yoga of the personal. One saint said that while worshiping the saguna, he attains the nirguna. So in a way, it's a, a psychological aid 
if you want to attain the absolute, you go through the form to attain the absolute. Baba says, there's no harm in worshiping Shakti in any form. What harm is there? <laughs> it's also true that the guru dwells in his particular form for a very long time. It means even after his death. All the siddhas that dwell in Siddhaloka dwell in their particular forms for a long time. Baba would talk about Siddhaloka, which is a place where the great beings live after they've dead in the subtle realm. <clears throat> he says, many people will bear this out from their own experiences. They must have seen Baba Nityananda in meditation and in dreams. What does, uh, what does that show? Isn't he retaining his subtle personal form? Consciousness does not die, and names and forms uh, are changed. Therefore, that which appears to be saguna is in fact nirguna. It's an illusion to consider the statue of Nityananda to be saguna. But he is attainable by the devotees and disciples in the saguna form. His body merges into the respective elements from which it is composed, but the substance is not annihilated. So the, the essence of who the guru is, the shakti, the energy of the guru doesn't disappear, even though the body disappears. The essence of it doesn't. Baba says, those who think that the substance get annihilated do not understand the truth and haven't visited Ganeshpuri, <laughs> uh, I say. <clears throat> yes, the guru does dwell within the disciple in a personal form, even after departing from the physical body. It's an illusion of those who worship the nirguna, the formless, to consider the formless alone to be real. This illusion should be discarded. A yogi is not a saguna worshiper. His objective is nirvikalpa samadhi. Nirvikalpa means no vikalpas, no thoughts. The thought-free state, which is beyond the form. So the goal of meditation is to attain the state of thought-free Samadhi, or the absorption and thought-free state. He says, what does idol worship lead to? What happens when the mind becomes completely still while gazing at a statue? We worship the guru in a personal form so that we may receive shakti and meditate effectively, so that we may reach the journey's end. But does that not mean that, does that mean, does that not mean that I belong to the saguna sect? But that does not mean, sorry, that I belong to the Saguna sect. I believe in the Nirguna. Besides, in the everyday life, you're dealing with the Saguna, not with the Nirguna. We're dealing with form, not formlessness. Which man has ever married a woman without form? <laughs> I remember this answer because it's like, whoa. <clears throat> Only when it comes to, to the divine, they say, we don't want form. But everything else, they want form. <clears throat> so far, not a single man has come to me with the desire to marry a formless woman. <laughs> Baba, I'd like to marry a formless woman. <laughs> and the ornaments which you make from gold are saguna. When the entire world is a worshiper of form, if I worship form in a certain measure, why should that upset people? Don't be upset about it. <clears throat> Throughout your daily life, you're only dealing with saguna, but you want God to be nirguna. The image of the guru is not saguna, it is pure consciousness. 
It is beyond the distinction of saguna and nirguna because it is pure consciousness. The mind and the senses have their pressing demands. They must see their corresponding objects. The eyes must see. That is why it's good to worship the statue or the personal form of the guru. When the mind rises to a high state, it converts the form into the formless. So that's an answer on that. <clears throat> Question, another one. Baba, how do I overcome feelings of unworthiness and inadequacy that come during meditation? Good question, isn't it? <clears throat> and the typical answer, Baba says, don't attach any importance to those feelings. <laughs> he said that, I heard him say that a thousand times. Don't attach importance to those feelings. Don't dramatize them. He says, you're not your feelings. You are the place where feelings arise. Just as in the upper spaces, clouds appear and vanish, in the space of the heart, endless feelings and thoughts rise and set. Why should you attach any special importance to them? I, want, I loved this teaching also because uh, I always took my negative thoughts particularly very seriously and brooded on them, dramatized them, and uh, went with them extended them and uh, made me miserable. Bob said, don't pay any attention. He says, ignore the clouds that, that, uh, and look for the sun in their midst. <clears throat> I think we were talking during the retreat of two methods, spiritual methods. One is to get rid of impurity and the other is to forget about that and focus on the self. So focusing on the sun and ignoring clouds is the latter. Focus on the highest. It's a wonderful spiritual method. There are so many things around me here, Baba says, sitting in his room. There's no need to remove them all in order to meet me. <laughs> Similarly, look for the light among the clouds. As you concentrate on the light, the mind also will become peaceful. So you don't have to, if you wanted to meet Baba, you don't have to remove everything in the room. Just focus on Baba. <clears throat> While meditating, you should let go of your faults. Suppose I feel angry this evening and then sit for meditation on the next morning. There should be no trace of that anger left in me. I can honor myself and meditation will come. You know, one of his aphorisms, he always say, meditate on yourself, honor yourself. Worship yourself. God dwells within you as you. And to honor, we dishonor ourselves. We hate ourselves. We, we go against ourselves. To actually honor, say, the self dwells within me. Divinity dwells within me. Consciousness dwells within me. I'm a conscious being. What could be more phenomenal, wonderful than that? A conscious being. So honor yourself. <clears throat> so he says, um, I honor myself and meditation will come. During sleep, one sleeps and does nothing else. While meditating, just meditate. Don't be self-conscious about your weaknesses. Attachment and hatred may still be there, but many good qualities are also present. In other words, you may have some flaws, 
but don't brood about them. You also have good points. And don't puff yourself up about that either. Don't brood about it. The point is not to honor yourself for your faults, but for your good qualities. Don't let your price fall on the market by keeping alive the memory of your faults, attachments, and hatreds. Depending on your temperament, attachments and negative feelings may persist for quite some time. If you have that kind of temperament, you may have some of these. <clears throat> Nonetheless, you should keep on cultivating good qualities. Hatred and attachment don't last, so why should our thoughts about them last? Don't brood. Don't brood about it. If in one's life some painful event has taken place, the mark of a wise man is that he doesn't preserve the pain in his thoughts, but forgets about it very soon. And that's a remarkable and insightful point, that last one, because there's been a culture of, of dwelling on trauma dwelling on trauma and, and going over and over it. And Baba's saying, let it go. Let it go, because behind, shining behind it is the self. Another one, this is related, actually. Question, could you talk about some scars? What are they? How are they made? You know, there's some scar, many of you know, this is a Sanskrit word. Uh, <clears throat> It's a tendency that comes from experience, from different activities. Well, Baba will explain it. But I always think the word scars, it's a scar, various scars. Good scars and bad scars, these are scars that you hold within. Here's what Baba says. According to the scriptures, some scars are the impressions or tapes which become imprinted on your psyche as a result of the deeds you've performed and also the things that have happened to you. Uh, whatever's happened imprints itself. Actually, it's strongly imprinted by our emotional reaction. If we have a strong emotional experience of something, then it gets imprinted very forcefully. If we're neutral about it, we can barely remember it. It has no impact, really. But the strong emotions, positive and negative, get imprinted, and they they get lodged inside somewhere. He'll tell you where right now. He says, these tapes are embedded in the central nerve, which is called sushumna. So he locates it in the central canal, the, the middle of your body, the subtle center of the body. From time to time, they rise to the conscious surface and then merge into the central nerve again as you lose awareness of them. It's not easy to uncover the tapes or past impressions, but when your kundalini is awakened, you can perceive them arising from within very clearly. And it's true that sometimes after the awakening, different uh, psychological processes take place. Memories come up, all kinds of things come up. You see things in new perspective and so on. <clears throat> they are the leftovers of past deeds. Take the, <laughs> this is very interesting. Take the example of an infant just an hour or two old. The mother puts him on her breast and he begins to suck like an expert. 
That is the result of samskaras, which can also be called habits that have remained from past lives. That's an interesting example. We call that instinct, right? But it's uh, samskaras. In the same way, all our thoughts, as well as the meditation and chanting that we do, leave their samskaras or impressions on our psyche. That is why it's essential to stay conscious and alert, because whatever you think or feel affects your entire body. You should strive to keep your mind empty of thoughts. But if you can't do that, then let only good thoughts move in your mind. Stay in the clear space of good feeling. Because that creates a different kind of samskara, a good positive samskara. Positive samskaras. As we, go, as we learn to negotiate and navigate into this clear space of good feeling, we become stronger at doing that. And the tendency to move into negativity diminishes. This is our inner psychology that as we meditate, we work on and we grow in that. He says, although your bad thoughts may be directed at others, they harm only you. In the same way, calm, loving thoughts help you while helping others too. Prahlad, Prahlad's a, a figure from uh, Hindu mythology. Prahlad, a great devotee of the Lord, says to his father, and his father was a demon. <laughs> Prahlad was a great saint who was born to demons, like some of you. <laughs> By your accounts, that's... Uh, <laughs> Father, know that whatever harm one thinks to inflict on others, whatever harmful acts one commits in thought or deed, leave impressions embedded in one's own mind. Therefore, they will cause suffering, sorrow, and anxiety within oneself. Bible says, therefore, instead of thinking and doing harm, it's better to keep thinking of the self who lives in everyone as pure consciousness. Because your, your anger just affects you. It may not even reach the person you're angry at, but it affects you, for sure. It raises your blood pressure and makes everything uh, go wrong inside. Every thought is like a seed cast in your mind, the fruits of which you yourself will enjoy or suffer later on. That's why I stress chanting so much, Baba says. Chanting destroys old samskaras, old tapes, embedded in the mind, for not a single word you utter ever goes to waste. So it's a very scientific uh, thing, the path of yoga. It's getting rid of negative samskaras, cultivating positive ones, and moving towards the clear space of good feeling, towards the inner self. <clears throat> Liking Baba? It's the best? Okay. I'll do a few more then. Question. Is every guru the same as every other one in essence and development of consciousness? Baba. All true gurus have developed their consciousness to the same degree. The scriptures have defined the nature of the guru at great length. The guru is not simply a man, nor is he a deity or an in incarnation of a businessman or an artist. He's just a guru. He has completely merged himself in God 
so that his inner state never changes. Though his eyes are open in the outer world, his vision is really fixed within. And we'd often describe Bhagwan Nityanand exactly that way, that though he operated outwardly, he was always established inside himself, firmly, powerfully. He is addicted only to the devotion to his own guru. Though he is a guru himself, he is immersed all the time in devotion to his guru. All such gurus are in the same state. According to the Shiva Sutras, the basic philosophical text of the Kashmir school of Shaivism, and we've been studying the Shiva Sutras this week, a guru is saturated with the divine power of grace. Guru Rupaya, one of the sutras. <clears throat> guru is the means, means to grace. The inner essence of all true gurus is the same. Their attainment are also the same. One who becomes a guru by surrendering himself to his guru is a true guru. In his presence and by following his teaching, a disciple's self-awareness is unfolded. <clears throat> Two more? Okay, here's one on meditation. Well, in Shaivism they talk about um, two forms of meditation. One is internal meditation, where you focus, you close your eyes, go inside, focus on the self. Uh, and that's called atma vyapti, or immersion in the self. And then the other movement is called shiva vyapti, where you have your eyes open and you meditate in the world. And Shiva is God, Shiva is consciousness, but Shiva is also the world in this. So that you're both inside and outside. So Baba is here talking about that. Question, instead of meditating with closed eyes, is not meditation better if one looks at the beauty of nature, the sky and the trees? And I'd say, why not? Do both. Want to meditate a little bit inside and then do that, but all right. <clears throat> Baba says, to look at the world with understanding in your eyes is an excellent form of meditation, for the self pervades everything. Kabir, Kabir is a great poet, medieval poet saint. Uh, Kabir speaks of seeing in meditation in fact, spontaneous samadhi is the best and highest meditation, sahaja samadhi. That means the natural state of living in a kind of state of higher consciousness in your ordinary life. He says, wherever you look, now he's describing it, wherever you look, you see not only things, but the spirit which animates them. Because we do not always understand this, we close our eyes for a while. If you really had this understanding, you wouldn't have to close your eyes in meditation, Baba's saying. But by meditating with eyes closed, you cultivate this understanding. Baba says, to see the self in stones, trees, and space is the meditation of a great yogi. Whatever and wherever you see, you see God. Whatever you eat and drink is an offering to him. Whatever you speak is his mantra. It is the self that is eating, drinking, and seeing. The self is in the self. 
O Supreme Conscious Rudra, you are man and woman, Shiva. I bow to you. Rudra is the sun. Rudra is the light. Rudra is all. You should see the same within and without. If you haven't seen it within, then this, uh, if you've seen it within, then the same will appear outside also. And finally, one more, and then we'll meditate. Baba, what is the self? Question that I asked him also back in the day. Baba says, according to Vedanta, there is nothing, nothing to which the self can be compared. The self is simply the self. However, a few analogies may be helpful. The self is that which activates the inner psychic organs and the outer sense organs. Okay, the inner psychic organs, let's just say that means the mind. And it, so the self activates the mind, the self is operating through the mind, and the self is operating through the senses. In other words, it's the consciousness behind the mind and behind the senses. <clears throat> he says, um, the self is the witness, the watcher, the seer of all activities of waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. The one who's watching. The self exists at the junction between the incoming and outgoing breaths. So in the Hamsa Mantra, we focus on the space between the two breaths. These are different ways of pointing to what it means when Baba's talking about the self. <clears throat> the self is the clear space of good feeling. All these are different words and ways of pointing towards the basis of our experience, the essence of who we are, and the fundamental fact of our existence. And that is the self. And you really can't understand it through language. You have to turn within and focus and experience it. Well, he says that. <clears throat> this is one way of understanding what the self is. Baba says exactly what I just said. But if you want to experience the nature of the self, you have to close your eyes and become silent. Only in inner stillness can the self be experienced. So let's do that. Let's meditate for a bit. <clears throat> Let's take a, a clue from Baba. We'll meditate for 10 minutes. <clears throat> Let's close our eyes and turn within. And what the sages say, and they all say it, that inside us there is this essence, this purity, this consciousness, this self, this clear space of good feeling, this bliss and this love, this contentment is within us. No matter how disturbed our minds are, how paranoid we are, or how worried we are, how angry we are, how much we may attack ourselves, hate ourselves, or hate others, the essence, at the essence, is this inner self. And the only way to see if that's true is by turning within and quieting the mind down and seeing what's there when the mind is quiet. And there are many ways to quiet the mind. One way is by using the mantra, 
Om Namah Shivaya. You can repeat that to yourself and let other thoughts fade away. But focus on the self, meditate on the self, honor your own self. This is consciousness. Over the last few days I've been celebrating consciousness. We have a conscious birth. We're all conscious beings. And to truly fulfill who we are, we have to know the essence of that consciousness, that awareness. And the essence of that consciousness is peaceful, it's loving, it's illumined, and it's joyous. So let's turn within now and we'll meditate on that space of consciousness, that clear space of good feelings. We'll meditate for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Sat Maharaj Ki Jai. Let's meditate. 